0: Hey, how's it going, eh? This is what you've been playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that we put on so that we can talk about the games that we've been playing recently. And on this episode are. Board on the Air, The Meeple Dungeon, Mozart Games, Dice and Dragons, Friday Night Games. ...and Cardboard Conjecture. And, as always, please remember to check the show notes for the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And, as always, sit back and enjoy.
1: Hi, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And this is What Have You Been Playing, a weekly podcast of Canadian content creators talking about games that they've been playing. Today, we are going to talk, or this week, we are going to talk about Dinosaur World.
2: Yes.
1: Shay's newest Kickstarter.
2: Uh, my first board game Kickstarter. First board game Kickstarter.
1: Yes, How was it?
2: I thought it was really good. Okay. I mean, we've only played one game of it. Yeah. Um, and it was a learning game. Yep. So it definitely took longer than it needed to. Um, But this is the sequel game to Dinosaur Island, which was one of the first Kickstarters we ever got, I think, um, a couple years ago. It
1: was the first... Dinosaur World was my... or Dinosaur Island was my first Kickstarter. Yeah, so,
2: you know, we're just keeping it in the family, stuff like that. Um, But yeah, I thought it was a really good game. It definitely was familiar from Dinosaur Island, but evolved a lot of the... Gameplay instead of putting your buildings on this like square board, you're building out with hexagon tiles, and then there's also the jeeple tour aspect, which you move through your buildings to activate them and get points. So, unlike uh Dinosaur Island, where you know you get the amount of people coming in and then those give you points as they come in there, the jeeple tour is actually what kind of can get you excitement and then money and stuff like that. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was really fun, more complex than Dinosaur Island, so if, if you find that that one might be a little bit much this one, just know that I think there's more decisions you have to make.
1: Yeah, it, there, there's a lot more uh, thought pattern to it as to, you have workers to do actions, and you, you're you using those workers through all of the rounds, different phases, Yeah, and... You have to really wait when to use one. You can't just throw it out there and not have it come back and hurt you later.
2: Yeah. So you you I think in the pre, in Dinosaur Island I haven't played it for a while, but Dinosaur Island you had your like scientists that you could yeah. place out, right? And you only had three of them, so you you were limited there. Um, you didn't get as many. I don't even think there was really any workers. It was just the hooligans and stuff like that. In this one, the workers do decide both what you can do and if you get any bonuses. And yeah, there's three phases that use them. There's the public actions, which is where you do it in turn order and every person can take DNA or uh, buy a building, stuff like that. So those you might need to use a worker to pay for things. Workers can be used in the private action phase, which is the next one. Those are the actions you have on your board. You do them all at the same time, but that's the stuff like create DNA or uh, build a di- like make a dinosaur yeah. or get money or get security. And again, you either need or it's useful to use certain colored workers uh, for those. And then you use them in the Jeeple phase as well, in the tour phase, because to activate your buildings when you go through them, not paddocks, like not dinosaur paddocks, but any of the other buildings need a worker and they need a specific color worker usually. Yeah. So it's it's definitely like keeping track of which ones you have to do the things you want.
1: Yeah, there's... It, in the original game, there were workers and there were scientists. And, you know, there was really... Scientists you had to use to collect DNA and do buildings and that type of stuff where workers were just to make your actions in this one there are four different five five different colors plus the basic yeah right and so it was a lot more thought pattern into how you use those workers
2: yeah because every one of like kind of special colored ones had also a bonus yeah and some of them had bonuses in two different spots yeah so it was like it was a lot of keeping track of like which ones you have and which ones you want to use and although you could carry them over to the like the next round, you usually had so many actions you wanted to do. I don't think I ever carried them over.
1: Yeah, I carried one over once. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, I used everybody each round. Uh, to me, there was a couple of neat actions in it or neat concepts in it where yeah. the more you would activate a single building on your uh, tableau, the less excitement there was.
2: Yeah, they called them boredom tiles. So each time you visited it, uh, you got a boredom tile added to it, and the excitement you get when you visit is what's printed on there minus the boredom. So at a certain point, you are either at zero, or you can even have like lose, have to spend excitement.
1: Yeah, and in the previous game, excitement just kept building. This one, it reset at the end of each round, and uh, five rounds. I think the previous one was four, wasn't it?
2: It was only four rounds, yeah. Yeah. And actually, I think this... Is this one five? No,
1: you, you played until you got all the uh, bonuses. Oh, a
2: certain amount of the objectives. Yeah, of yeah. The
1: objectives, yeah. And this one was five. I thought that the concepts were similar, but the mechanics were... There was enough difference there that both games could be in your collection. It
2: didn't feel like a reprint yeah. of Dinosaur Island.
1: Yeah. No, I thought they did a good job, and I thought it was, it was solid, uh i don't know if it's i think i like it better than the first one but there's definitely more of a teach to it
2: yeah i think so but i think it's one that after you play it once or twice it's gonna get faster and i found that the dinosaur island as well
1: yeah definitely okay i'm david and i'm shay we will talk to you next week
2: have a good night
3: Yeah. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What been Playing Wednesday's podcast. This week, we're going to talk about one game we've been playing. What game is that, Anna-Marie?
4: That game is Sleeping Gods. And this game was designed by Ryan Lockett. The art was by Ryan Lockett. It was written by Mallory and Ryan Lockett. And it was published by Red Raven Games.
3: Yes, Sleeping Gods. So... We are kind of trying to, it's, we have two weeks before the end of the year and we are trying to get through playing a bunch of games that we didn't get to the table to this point that came out in 2021. Yeah. And this one is right on top of the heap for us because we both have vacation time right now and we're able to, you know, play a lot of games and, and, uh, we thought that this is the one we would try to probably not, probably not finish it, uh, right away, but at least get a good taste for it. Um, oh yeah! This, for this year,
4: this was a Christmas present or Christmas birthday. Oh, where's my brain? <laughs> this is a was a birthday present for me, which didn't get here on my birthday, so it no. was a, <laughs> anticipated. I didn't know what it was until yeah. it came later. But um, yeah, so excited! And that my birthday was in March, so yeah. it's been a while. But we didn't get it then; it came later. No, on. it
3: came in the summer. Yeah, um, but yeah. Uh, so we've had it for yeah. a few months for sure. So excited
4: but. to. We've been excited to get into it.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, we might finish it, because I have heard people say that their campaign has gone somewhere about 17 to 20 hours worth. So, depending on how things go, but we also want to get in a few other games. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, Sleeping Gods, this is one of Ryan Lockett's... Um, the fourth? Or no, there's a bunch of other games. but <laughs> It's in the world... let not make up numbers. <laughs> no, it's in the world of The Above and Below. So, Above and Below, and Near and Far, and... The now or never that hasn't come out yet around right. here anyway, and Sleeping Gods—it's all kind of in that same universe. Um, and in this game, you are a crew aboard a ship yep. called the Manticore, and I know a lot of people know this already, but yeah. this is new to <laughs> <It's> us. <no. laughs> and, um, you have become lost on a trip from Chicago, uh, from China, right? It was Hong Kong? Yeah, I think they departed it was Hong-, Hong Kong. Yeah, I think it was Hong Kong, and they're headed to New, New York, York. Yeah, and they get lost in some sort of uh, storm. crazy storm. Yeah, and when the storm moves away, they are lost at sea in like a misty area, and they they kind of find themselves on these on the shores of an unknown uh, piece of land. And uh, some crazy they, creatures. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're on this land trying to figure out how to make it back to. New York, but you have no bearings on where you are, what you're doing, and who you know what's going on. So you're searching around on this island. You 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 start talking to people on this island. It's a huge narrative yeah, game, which narrative, is awesome. I, it's story driven, kind of choose story. your own adventure yeah. style game. And you end up talking to people on this island, and they tell you 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 discover that you need to discover these tomes, and these tomes are going to be used to awaken. The yeah. sleeping gods. Yeah,
4: they say that um, the the gods have been sleeping for so long. They need these totems or to uh, yeah totems, not yeah, tomes,
3: but totems. To, yes,
4: to um to wake up and and be released from and their they slumber. Will help us, and then they'll help us. Home. Yeah, help help you get home. So they that's say. The theory. <laughs> everyone who gets stuck here, uh, that's what they have to do. But nobody has.
3: No one's been able nobody's succeed. been able to
4: do it. So yeah most everybody's died you'll probably die too so.
3: <laughs> but we can give it a try yeah um so yeah we're trying to search around um for these totems and so the book comes with a storybook this huge storybook. oh yeah and then a map book which is basically your play board which is all these different maps of the area that you're exploring right and you're you're uh sailing your ship around these islands and going from ports to to different places and you're you're trying to discover these totems, and you get into all sorts of things. Um, so on your turn, though, so it's it's pretty interesting. You you do some ship actions where on your ship, like on the Manticore, there's a separate board representing the Manticore, and on there you can do a bunch of things where you can get like action cards, and you can get uh, what are they called? Uh, like command tokens, and these command tokens are used for basically everything in the game. Just are those kinda the blue choosing ones? your actions. Hmm? Are those the blue ones? Yeah, yeah, the blue ones, and those. Those tokens are kind of what you spend to do all these different actions in the game, and they're limited, so you have to use them wisely and then try to get them back and, and do all these sorts of things. So when you're doing things on the Manticore, you that's where you get these yeah. uh, most of your command tokens from. And once you've done your ship actions, uh, you would pull an event card, and the ev- there's a, an event deck that is uh, pre-constructed at the beginning of each game and then you can go through it two, three, four times depending on how long your game goes and those are going to throw curveballs at you and uh, give you different little storylines and, and uh, obstacles and things you have to make difficult decisions about and things like this that really kind of make your story go left and right and things like this and then you go down after that to a little action board and you can do a couple actions which includes going to the port um you can travel, like you can move yeah. your boat to different You can travel, you can explore, places. you can go to the port, and there's something else. Go to the market, I believe. The market, yeah, yeah, so you can buy things and stuff. So you can do a whole bunch of things there, and then you end your turn, and and then it goes, uh, everything gets swapped over to the other player. And yeah. the cool thing about that is that on your turn, um, so for a two-player game like we're playing, uh, we each get four characters that yeah. we get to control, plus there's the captain, and on, on my turn... For instance, I would control my four characters and the captain, and then you would be able to give me uh, the option of using your characters, but you'd have to spend some of those command tokens, and vice versa. So when it goes over to your side, you're only using your characters and the captain, and if you wanted to use mine, I could spend some things to let you use them. So it's pretty cool that way.
4: Yeah, no, it's yeah. very neat. It's uh, it's neat how you can share your players uh, with yeah. with the other the other people in your. Like on your team because you're all it's cooperative, right? You're all working together. Yeah, it's
3: fully co-op, and everyone has their own um, set of skills. Yeah, that and you need to use to uh, do the different uh, uh, objectives or whatever. You want. Skill checks, right? Skill checks. So, yeah, so it's tough yeah. though
4: because when you're you got to make sure that you were you're using the right people because if they if you use them twice, they get these little like fatigue yeah. markers on them, yeah, and they once they have two fatigue markers, those players can't fight anymore. So you have but to. But they can f-
3: fight. But they can't take part in skill checks.
4: Oh, I thought they couldn't fight. No, they oh. can always
3: fight. So that's the thing is they describe it that even if they're exhausted, they're still gonna fight to the death basically. Oh, that's right.
4: That's right. Um, we had that good conversation. But they for instance <laughs> Makes sense.
3: an exhausted player couldn't climb a mountain yes. to uh to try yeah. and but do something.
4: On that on your ship, there are spots where you can go to remove the fatigue. Yes. So it's a matter of managing and and yeah. it's it's some push your luck too, because you can uh, you can make it so that you know that you're absolutely going to win your skill check, but then you're you could be exhausting all of your characters, right? And um, because or fatiguing you're them. A card, yeah, because right. you pull a card that you know will either give you like one to what seven. Um, yeah extra towards your, towards your, your, your skill, skill check yeah but you never know what you're gonna pull so like we've played it and we've okay i need five we made sure we had five people and then we pulled like a four Yeah. <laughs> so we ended up with nine instead of the five we needed but um i think we'll get more daring the farther we go in yeah, using it less but um but yeah no i thought that was a neat um a neat aspect being able to pull no, those it's great those cards
3: it's just so far i mean we're pretty early on in it but it's a cool story and you're trying to find these things and you're fighting monsters and you're exploring unknown areas and it's just a great great uh yeah i love those quest
4: cards because they basically they just let you
3: explore you decide where you're gonna go that's the thing it's totally open to whatever you want to do you get you find these quests through the game but you don't even have to do them if you don't want. You can just yep. sail around and check things out, and it's really cool that way. Yeah,
4: so it's very neat. I'm I'm very excited to delve even farther into this one.
3: Yeah, I agree. This one, uh, hopefully eh, hopefully we do even get it finished. That would be nice to finish it be before nice. the end of the year. If we don't, we'll finish it by uh, early in the new year. Yeah. But uh, we're over our time here. we got to run. So we will see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Bye-bye.
5: Hey everybody, my name is Chris Morris from Mozart Games, and I am thrilled to be back once again with Cardboard Conjecture for What You've Been Playing Wednesday. You can find me on Twitter as SpiderMo, that is Spider with a Y, if you like what you hear and want to give me a follow for some board game thoughts, my ongoing challenges as a designer, and just a little bit of me complaining about random things. Now, this week, I want to talk about a game that I got to play in the last week or so. It's called Condottier from designers Dominic Erhard, Duccio Vitali, and Justin Kempainen. I played the Fantasy Flight version, but it's currently published by Z-Man Games. Now, Condottier is an area control game for two to six players based in feudal Italy, with players vying for control of either three adjacent regions or five regions in total, In order to win the game. It takes place over several rounds and in each round players will participate in battles for various regions on the board. Now this was initially published way back in 1995 and it still holds up well today with streamlined gameplay and tough decisions to be made each and every battle. At the beginning of a round, Players are dealt 10 cards to form their hand, which they will need to manage for the entire round as they are not refreshed after each battle. The active player will choose any one region that will be contested in the current battle, and then they play a card from their hand to initiate it. Players will then choose to either play a card or pass on their turn, adding to their individual strength for the battle. Once a player has passed, they are done for that battle and cannot play any additional cards. Now, the majority of the deck is made up of mercenary cards with values ranging from 1 to 10, but there are also other cards that can swing the battle to your favour, such as Drummers, that double the value of all of your played mercenaries, or the Bishop, that immediately discards the highest value mercenaries that are in play. Choosing when to play your cards is critical, as you are unable to refresh your hand until everybody is out of cards, so using all your resources in one battle is not always a wise move as you'll be unable to participate in the rest of the round. There are also several other cards in the deck that allow you to pull back a previously played mercenary, so a crafty player can try to outfaint their opponent by forcing them to play a higher valued card and then take their cards back into their hand for future battles. However, there's also a few cards that can be played that immediately end a battle, and they seem to appear at the worst possible moment more times than not. The board is broken up into 17 regions, and any region can be chosen by the active player to be contested in each battle. So players need to keep a careful eye out during the each battle of the game and choose the right time to invest their cards to win a critical battle when necessary. It's also very common for several players to pass on the initial battle or two, saving their hand of cards to be able to strike when their opponents are weakened. However, if you wait too long and everybody else is out of cards, the round ends and you'll need to discard all your remaining cards in order to start a new round. Also, if a player has no mercenary cards in their hand, they can choose to discard all their remaining cards. So even a player with five cards left in their hand may suddenly be out and your plans for domination come crashing down. Condottier plays in about an hour, and a group who's familiar with the game should be able to play in well under that. It's a very quick-playing area control game that really shines in a five- or six-player count. Battles are tense, and even players who are not involved are very invested in the outcome of any battle, as it has future repercussions later in the game. In our recent play of it, we had one player who always seemed to go in heavy in a single battle, using up all of their forces early in a round, trying to get a region. We also had one player who went three full rounds without winning a single battle, but he was still able to contest for the win right up until the very end of the game. I think we had more tense moments in that single game of Condottier than I've had in many other area control games that we've played in the past. This is one of my favorite styles of game, with El Grande, Cthulhu Wars, and History of the World all ranking high on my all-time lists, and Condottier stands right with those titles, despite its small table presence and box size. Getting dealt a hand of cards and trying to make the most of them in a round is a very fun challenge. I had one hand that had only four mercenary cards and six scarecrow cards that allowed me to bring back my previously played cards to my hand and it allowed me to force my opponents into playing more valuable cards in a couple of battles in a row as I kept withdrawing my forces after getting them to invest more troops than they had initially wanted to. There are several variant rules in the newest edition as well that allow players to play the game with slight variations that have been developed over the last 25 years that Condottier has been published. There are also rules that allow players to draw additional cards into their hand each round based on the number of regions that they control meaning that once you have won a region or two, you'll have more options available to you in future battles. This is a game that truly deserves to be rated much higher on BoardGameGeek Geek than it currently is. Condottier is listed as the 885th best board game on that site, but I can probably think up a few hundred games that this should easily bypass. For me, it is in my top 50 games of all time, and I look forward to playing it again very, very soon. If anybody is looking for a last-minute Christmas gift for the board gamer on their list, run out to your local game store and see if you can grab a copy to wrap up and place under their tree. Or maybe Santa knows that you desperately need this now, and you'll be pleasantly surprised to find your own copy on December 25th. Once again, I am Chris Morris. Thank you for listening to my thoughts about Condottierre. If you liked what you heard from me and want to hear or see more, I can be found on Twitter as Spidermo. Thanks again for listening and may all of your dice rolls be critical successes.
6: What up gamers, I'm Jason from Dice and Dragons. You can find us on YouTube Facebook and Instagram at Dice and Dragons, and on Twitter at Dice and Dragon. And this is What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. As we're in that holiday season now, we're a little busy in the Dice and Dragons household, so Julie couldn't be on this episode, but we wanted to make sure that we had some great content for all of our listeners. So what we've been playing has been two of the latest expansions for Marvel Champions the card game. We've been playing the Valkyrie Expansion Pack as well as the War Machine Expansion Pack, Uh, both of those are designed by Caleb Grace, and the War Machine expansion pack was also designed by Aaron Haltom. So, of course, these add the characters to the game, and you are going to be using their signature abilities to fight villains in the Marvel Universe, as well as thwart their schemes. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Valkyrie first, as, uh, this is the pack that I think we find to be the the most, uh, disappointing. Uh, she's largely based around, uh, boosting your base attack value and with regards to what she has for her pre-built deck it's, there's not very many options for it you do have a sword that can increase her attack you do have the combat training however she just feels very weak and not nearly as effective as some of the other heroes I know that Julie and I will be playing Nebula and Gamora and just remembering how Gamora plays I believe the character is just going to be a lot better overall in terms of handling thwart, as well as dealing damage. And I think that's the biggest issue that uh, we both had while playing Valkyrie, is that she's just not great at thwarting, and she's not this big damage dealer either. Now, her interesting uh, effect is the Death Glow uh, card that she has, which will essentially enhance your strength and defenses against uh, the, the minion or the main villain, provided you've attached the Death Glow card to them, which I think is pretty cool. And there are definitely some ways that you can boost your base attack power in order to uh, to deal a solid amount of damage every turn. There, including the deck, but just not that many of them. You may be able to uh, construct a much better deck, but the but I just I'm not sure. I don't remember how many of those cards that boost your base attack power that you can have. There's there's combat training which increases it by one, but you can only have one of those out uh, at a time. So. There are definitely a lot of limitations there. While she also does have the really cool shield maiden card, which will let her defend other characters without exhausting her character and even get a bonus uh, for defense. The issue with that is it doesn't really come into play in a two-player game. So I feel that Valkyrie may be the character that's designed for you know, three, four player games of Marvel Champions where she's got some cool utility, but she really does not shine through as a top tier character. This is probably the least fun that either of us have had playing a character, and she's definitely in the bottom rank. Unless you're trying to collect the entire game, I highly recommend skipping this expansion. Uh, Now we're gonna move on to War Machine, whose pre-constructed deck also has a a few problems. You're playing War Machine uh, as a leadership deck, And it's got some very cool combo potential, Uh, cards that will let you sneak some allies in for very low cost, allies that cost like 5, such as uh, Captain Marvel. And then you can deal massive amounts of damage with them in one turn, but you'd potentially have to get rid of them uh, after the fact. So those cards are cool, I just don't think they flow very well together. Uh, Marvel Champions typically doesn't treat combo decks very well. And the Leadership War Machine is definitely a combo-style deck. Uh, You can do very well with his just standard War Machine cards and upgrades you can get out. They can be quite damaging and punishing. But the Leadership cards really take you getting the specific ones at the right time in order to really do some cool stuff. And as Marvel Champions isn't very forgiving of having setup turns, when you're trying to set up some of these big moves, you're essentially forsaking the opportunity to do regular damage and keep scenes progressing, which the game typically will... uh, give you a swift kick for so not a fan of his pre-constructed deck but do like the cards i think in other leadership build decks it could do very well now war machine himself is uh, is a lot of fun uh i struggled with him because i had a dead spot in my deck which is where we really get uh, our opinion on that pre-constructed deck but when julie was playing with him she was able to get out his gauntlet guns which would let her essentially play war machine attack cards for free she had his uh, upgraded chassis which Really had him getting a tough status card almost every turn, so never really needing to switch back to alter ego form, and she also had the shoulder cannon, which worked really well because she was able to do massive amounts of damage with it just by chaining through all of the ammo, and with the munitions depot that she got, she had tons of ammo to shoot with it, so just... Overall, very cool character. I think if you like deck construction, you're going to enjoy War Machine a lot. Uh, When it comes to just buying the pack, though, I think there's definitely a lot of value left sort of uh, on the table that you're not really seeing. But there are some high-value cards, so if you like building decks, then War Machine's going to be a strong value pickup either way because the hero himself is good and the cards in the deck are good. I just don't think that they come together very well to make a particularly appealing package for gamers that don't like taking part in the deck construction element of marvel champions well there you have it i think we've talked enough about what we've been playing up into the holidays we'll have some of the reviews dropping on the channel after this uh, episode is released not sure which one it's going to be at valkyrie war machine but make sure to check us out on youtube to get our full thoughts on one of those expansions the other one will be coming up shortly not too long uh, after that with that being said i just want to remind everyone to keep playing games
7: hey everyone i'm matt and i'm john and we're friday night games you can find us at twitter at friday night gms instagram at friday night games underscore official our website friday night games and uh, i don't know where else yeah that's about it youtube maybe something around there yeah So are we, what are we playing this week? Or what have we played? Uh, you know what? We uh, actually uh, went to a convention. We did. We went to PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia. Yeah, we, we crossed the the borders
8: during COVID.
7: Yeah, it was actually pretty irresponsible of us. But we are isolating and, you know, making sure that we're taking care of ourselves <laughs> now because, uh, I think. <laughs> yes. uh all right cool anyways moving on (laughs) what do we play there john or what was the best thing you played there
8: uh you know what i'm not gonna get too much into what we played because we are gonna have a podcast about that this week this week coming out so um what i want to talk about is uh the one and only game i played in the pub room Mm -hmm. so the unpub room is a room where designers go in and they can demo um i don't know if they rent the space out or not but uh they can go and they demo a game that they have an idea for um i just went into court kind of just i don't know check it out see what it was all about and, and this one guy's like gotta play my game and i was like sure um and it, it uh the designer's name was uh julio uh, nazario who is actually the designer of the game Control, that Panasaurus. Oh, uh, stop it. Really? Yeah. Awesome. That Panasaurus um, games uh, released uh, last year. Uh, and he he was making a kid's game called uh, Bouncy Unicorn. Bouncy Acorns. Sorry. And uh, the, the game design was just like, it was funny because he just made like 3D printed a tree and uh, some squirrels and then the acorns were... Like carved up bouncy balls. So the goal of the game was to uh, you bounce one of these acorns into uh, points into the board, and you can move your your squirrel up the tree. And the first person to get three squirrels at the top of the tree wins. But what was cool about the game is you're also trying to knock the other squirrels off with these with these bouncy nice. balls. So I was playing with Alex uh, Esten from Brickerback Games and um, another content creator. I'm very sorry that I don't remember their name right now, um, but uh, we were playing together, and Alex just was not <laughs> bouncing. So so was not bouncing the acorns into into mm-hmm. the the scoring. And I think he was getting. I thought he was going to flip the table at one point. He, was, <laughs> he looked pretty pissed. So like the, the bouncy balls, they're like square on all sides except for like there's one round. So you have to hit that rounded part up to bounce. But anyway, so eventually we got the hang of it and I was actually losing. I had, uh, I I didn't have any squirrels on the top of the tree because mine, someone knocked all mine down. And then right near the end, and this is like the best move at the top of the tree, there's a hole. And if you get the ball in that hole, you get five, you can move your squirrel up five points. is basically just straight up the tree. But if you knock any of the other squirrels off the top, and they land in holes. You get those points,
7: too. Oh, so you knocked them all. So I
8: knocked all of Alex's his two squirrels that were up there right off as like one of my last moves, and it was pretty solid. I had a good time with it.
7: That's why he wanted to flip the table.
8: No, he wanted to flip the table because I don't. He wasn't bouncing any. He wasn't getting any points to start with.
7: Okay. Yeah, yeah.
8: But uh, I I thought like it was a fun and cute game, and uh, you know I don't know if it's ever gonna get published, but uh, I was like I'd, I'd play this with my kids. Yeah.
7: Yeah, that sounds amazing. It sounds pretty fun. Yeah, sounds like you can make it a drinking game too. Which you could neat. probably. Uh, so I'm going to talk about the first play. Uh, sorry, the first look area yeah. of Pax Unplugged. So there's an area in Pax Unplugged where there's all these brand new games that have come out in the last year or are brand new to Spiel, um, and you can go there and basically you just sit down, read a rule book, and play. It's actually phenomenal. Yeah. And so we played uh, Dune House Secrets, which is based on the game Detective. So if you don't know anything about those games, you have, uh, it's a lot of reading. (laughs) You set up a scenario, you have a bunch of reading cards, and you read through and make decisions. Uh, Every character you play in the game has a skill. You can use the abilities of the skill to kind of access different parts of the story you wouldn't have. Uh, The game wasn't for me. The game wasn't for me. The game is, if you like narrative stories, play it. But I really didn't like it. Yeah, It's hard for me to recommend to anyone because I'm not a big, like, I never played Detective and I wasn't a big fan of this game
8: yeah um same i uh was disappointed because i was actually looking forward to playing another uh, game in the dune uh ip in the dune universe and i don't know if it was just because we played the prologue and i don't think it has like all the mechanics of the game in there but like it just seemed very confusing to
7: get through it was hard for us to set up but yeah but getting through it just seemed like so as we were playing it just says go to this card do this thing and then you get these little clues as you solve the clues they tell you to go to a different card and i didn't really see the point of it i felt like i could have just read a story rather than do this prologue i didn't really feel like my actions didn't really have any effect but again that's maybe that's just the prologue maybe further on you get into it it does have an effect but it didn't have that for us yeah
8: i felt like the prologue like no matter what you did you were still gonna get to the end of the game and we sort of just got there and i was like that was it yeah, <laughs> that's stupid.
7: <laughs> <laughs> On a good note, though, we did play another game there. Uh, it's a wonderful. It's a wonderful kingdom, um, which is a very good game. Uh, although I like its a wonderful world better. Uh, listen to our podcast to hear about that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, definitely, if you're at Pax Unplugged, check out the Unpub room and check out the first look area. Those are two gems because you get to play all these games for free. It's kind of like a demo before you actually buy. Yeah. So, for instance, I wouldn't buy Dune House Secrets, and I got to try it out there to to solidify that. <laughs> reasoning. <laughs> yes.
8: Cool. Thanks for having us on. Again, I am John. I'm Matt, and we're at Friday Night Games. See you everyone. See ya.
0: Hey there. It's Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And uh, as always, let's get to see what the Bridge City Board Gamers community has been playing lately on our Facebook thread. So, starting off with Jeff. Uh, Played some Bitoku, uh, Paladins of the West Kingdom, The Crew, uh, Nautilica, I think. And uh, just one. And uh, uh, yeah, just one. That's like my favorite party game. Uh, it's uh, If you've never played it before, I'd say um, if there's a copy, get it. Because I'm not going to explain to you how good it is. Just get it. Uh, Paladins of the West Kingdom. Yeah, that surprised me how heavy that game was. Uh, it's the Shem Phillips series, the West Kingdom series. And um, yeah, wow, that's a really great. The crew, I've yet to play the crew. And I own it. And I bought it just before the pandemic hit, so yikes. Um, All right, so let's carry on here. Uh, Lane, uh, Walking Dead Bang. I think that's a a version of Bang the Dice Game, which is fun. Uh, Power Grid. Yes, Power Grid. Ah, ah, What a fun game. Uh, um, A Friedman Freeze game, and uh, yeah. Yeah, if you like your connecting networking kind of stuff and some serious auction action, that's a good game. Blockus, or as other would say, Bloku. Um, uh, Trolls versus Gnomes. The perfect gift for that guy who has to sleeve everything on your list. Uh, that's very funny. Uh, Gloomhaven and Bananagrams. Um, wow, that's a crazy swing. Gloomhaven to Bananagrams. All right, cool. Uh, Hans. Uh, I I bet you Hans and uh, Jeff played games together because he started off with uh, uh, <laughs> you know what he's got the same thing Bidoku, uh, Paladins of the West Kingdom, uh, Noctiluca, and terraforming Mars, and I think that just is a, just a standard go with <laughs> with Hans. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, you know, yeah, that's awesome. What a good list, David. My. School board game club played Seven Wonders, Takedo, Kittens in a Blender, Dutch Blitz. Uh, hope it wasn't full contact Dutch Blitz. I know what that's like. Uh, and Gold and Bonanza yesterday. Wow, cool. Those, uh, yeah, those are that's that's a great lineup for the uh, for the students to tie into to get into this hobby. Bonanza. Wow, that's a uh, that's a fun trading game. And uh, if there's anybody out there who has the predisposition to sort cards in their hands, this game will drive you crazy because you can't. You can't sort the cards. Um, Eli played more Final Girl. I've heard a lot of really good things about that one. It's kind of like the uh, 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 homage to the the 80s slasher movies like Friday the 13th where you play the final girl in this kind of cinematic scenario. So... Really cool. I, uh, I should look into that one a little bit more. Uh, Marvel Champions Against the Hood. Nice. Love, love me some Marvel Champions. And Canopy. Um, I've not heard of Canopy at all. Well, there we go. Canopy. I'm going to look into that one again. Um, Jason. Oh, He starts off with a gold standard cribbage. 15.2, 15.4, 15.6 double run of three is eight uh love that game constellations' uh I've, ah, I think I might have heard that Hadrian's wall um, as Dave uh, from board on the air likes to say spreadsheet the dice game and uh dynogenics cool yeah cribbage yeah that's man, I, I remember play I remember learning that one in grade five that was awesome um shame uh nothing this week oh Little uh, moment of silence. Okay. Uh, still trying to get my friends to download Tabletop Simulator. Well, you know what? Um, meet them in the middle and uh, play some uh, Board Game Arena because that one just has everything built in, taken care of. You don't even need to do the math. I love it. Uh, <laughs> lazy board gaming. Um, so let's move on. Tim, the Silver Bayonet Wingspan. Kingdom Builder, King Domino, and Abyss. Yes, yes. Wingspan. Ah, that's that's such a uh, that's such a evergreen game. Everybody, uh, mm-hmm. everybody needs
9: mm-hmm. right. mm-hmm. uh, uh, mm-hmm. to play that.
0: Fantastic. All right. Only played one game this week of design, and that's okay. Uh, I chose a strategy that was way too. Sorry, chose a strategy that was way too slow. But I enjoyed myself while being <laughs> thrashed by my buddy. You know, I've been there. It, you know, that's what's worse is being one move, one star behind the winner. Cause it, yeah, yeah. I'd rather get thrashed than just lose by ah, just that much. Um, Jonathan, Paladins of the West Kingdom, New York Zoo. That's such a great jump from. If you love uh, patchwork, the New York Zoo, um, you, you'll appreciate that one. Small World, Cribbage, Splendor. Yeah, nice, nice list. Awesome. Uh, Rebecca, uh, as we are gone over Christmas, we started early and unwrapped Ticket to Ride, played one round. That's an awesome choice to do. And that's a, a great game to show a lot of, uh, a lot of people that are new to the hobby because that game... I think that was my gateway game, absolutely. Yeah, and I still play it. Love that game. Uh, John played Seven Wonders Architects three times and Sentinels of the Multiverse twice. Um, I don't think I've done Architects, but Seven Wonders, that's some just some brilliant, straightforward card drafting. And Sentinels of the Multiverse is, uh, I've heard a lot of people say, that's the superhero game that they wish was uh, created and uh, so, yeah, there you go. That's a great lineup, everybody. Well, um, uh, this week, what did I play? What what you been playing, LePage? Um, well, I managed to get in a game um, on our regular Wednesday night uh, board game session. Um, I managed to, for the first time, I was taught by Dave and Jordan. Um, and, uh, and And, of course them being experienced players and me being the new player, I got thrashed, but I learned a lot. And what I'm talking about is Whistle Mountain, designed by Scott Caputo and Luke Laurie and published by Bezier Games. Um, uh, Whistle Mountain, now if you know Whistle Stop, it's not even close, not even the same, just shares the same universe. And uh, and I think art, if I recall correctly, same style maybe, um, but Whistle Mountain... Um, understanding that Scott Caputo is, uh, the, uh, uh, he's such a knack with tile, uh, placement and tile laying games and Luke Laurie, such a knack for worker placement. What happens when you put them together? You get this sweet game and what it is. Let me just kind of bring you thematically into it is, um, you're trying to, and again, uh, you're, you I think you're kind of developers, companies, uh, looking for profits and what you're doing is you're building a scaffolded uh, network up to the top of Whistle Mountain and uh, in doing so, uh, the, the structure or this, you know, if you're, if you're visually looking at it, it's a mountain on the board and from the bottom up like a pyramid style game, um, you're layer by layer, you're building these scaffold system, which are polyomino tiles. And uh, how that works is those are the initial scoring pieces. When you put them in, if they're touching an edge, you get a point, right? So that's, it's kind of, Dave said, it's kind of point salad in the fact that you're capable of making points on most of your decisions, which is absolutely correct. So um, you're putting these tiles in. There's so many choices. Um, Now, with these tiles in, you need resources. How do you get resources? This is where the worker placement uh, brilliance of Luke Laurie comes in um, because the scaffolding system is in a grid pattern and it's a descending grid pattern, meaning that each level has less and less and less. Um, And um, where you place your, now your workers, interestingly enough, are um, dirigibles that are capable of landing or um, docking with the scaffolding at certain points or, or right on the scaffolding. And where it docks, you generate resources. And your three type of workers are a large Zeppelin that occupies three spaces, a, a blimp that occupies two spaces and a balloon that occupies one space. Now that's relevant because if you can get the blimp into a situation where you're drawing a lot of resources, great, because on your player board, you have four different resource tracks with a maximum of four each. Very efficient. Um, Now, that's not the only place where you can put these uh, worker placements. On the outside of the board, there are um, uh, little factories or shops that once there is uh, area created, a connected, um, consistent area created by the scaffolding, you can put uh, shops in that are, first of all, the bonus points for the person who who, uh, puts them down in regards to Uh, the point saladiness of this, and uh, also another worker placement spot that everybody can use. Um, So there's that. Then there's also, um, and there's three three different levels of these buildings. uh, If you're capable, and obviously the smaller point value is the smaller uh, area space and the larger point value is the larger area space. And there's, there's some cutthroated throated kind of uh, competition in this game because you might be wanting to build scaffolding area for a nice big nine-grid nine shop and everybody scoops it away from you and you could be sitting on this big point value that you can't get on the board, right? Um, I could continue on about the interconnectivity of this game, but... The, uh, the great part about it is how you can push your player board into an asymmetrical function by the upgrades that you put on and you're able to put six upgrades that changes the way you can play this game every time and the the um the workshops or the motors that come out that you put down in these spaces that's a large tile so what i appreciated right away is the variability in this game um the multiple paths to victory, uh, and combos that can be generated and created just by the placement on the board. Well done, Scott Caputo. Um, and Luke Laurie, well done in the idea of, of, I have workers of different values that can trigger different things. Well done. So much dimension to this game. Even though I got my wallet handed back to me by the other two players, I want to play this game again. Uh, and that says a lot to me. So, uh, yeah, um, no, if there was a solo version, I would buy it in a heartbeat. But until this pandemic's done, it doesn't make sense for me to get this, but I know that uh, it can be brought to my table, and I can get crushed anytime time by anybody <laughs> until I learn how to very efficiently play this game. So that's Whistle Mountain by Scott Caputo and Luke Laurie, uh, published by Bézier Games. And uh, that being said... Uh, thank you so much for listening to what we have to say about the games that we've been playing recently. And always thank you so much to the content creators who uh, share um, what they've been doing lately. And I appreciate so much the time and effort that's put into this process. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there. eh?